There is an entity that permeates every aspect of our existence. Into every moment of history, it is altogether real, certain, constant. Yet, you can't see it, hear it, touch it. And tangible, but we feel it, the way it radiates out into the pulse of our daily lives. Its impact is everywhere. It shows up in physics, the amount of energy transferred over a unit of time. It's revealed in the incandescence of the light, electrical current moving from source to bulb. It's demonstrated at the sporting event, when an athlete sends a ball crashing through a net. But it also wields its authority elsewhere, in the advances of armies as they pursue conquest. It fuels the verdicts of rulers, governments, and courts as they seek to make a way of life normal in society. It's unleashed in the storm of revolution, layered in the rhetoric of tyrants who assert their will over others. Its abuse fuels the cries of the marginalized, spurring on both protests and rebellions. It is wielded by all, from the rich and powerful to a small child taking their first step. It has the capacity to take objects, people, ideas, concepts, beliefs, ethics, and history from here to there. Its name is power. Power, defined as capacity or ability. When we act in power, we make a difference. We make a change. Entangled in every area of life, power goes by many names. Authority, control, force, strength, rule, energy, influence, leadership. Power crashes into every sphere of our life, reminding us of what we already know, that power is unavoidable. So that begs the question, what are we to make of power? How should we think of it? In what ways are we designed to wield it? Should we? We've seen the good that has been done by our ability to act, the progress and advancement that has come about because of the exercise of power. But we equally know that for its unlimited potential to create order, beauty, and growth. The possibilities of its dark side are just as vivid. The same power found in nuclear reactors, a power that's stable, efficient, and capable of sustaining life for many, provides the fuel of nuclear warheads that decimate cities and eradicates all living things. For all these reasons and more, our relationship with power must be examined and explored. Does it exist to be freely unleashed in a visceral demonstration of our control, our rights, our desires, our raw power? Is the end game to vanquish others in a pursuit of authority, dominance, and greatness? Or is power intended for something else entirely? A gift given by an all-powerful creator, a generative and sustaining ability we possess to bring order, beauty, thriving, and life to the world? Which vision of power will move us from here to there? Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Medine East Grace Church. If you are new or if you're a guest, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff, so thanks for coming out. Uh, as Colin said, too, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online with us. We're glad you're with us, too. So it was back in, uh, I think it was the, the, the spring of 2010, and me and my wife had just gotten, uh, we were getting married, and we just bought our first house, and it was a foreclosed home, and so there were a lot of things in there that just, just needed work done, a lot of things that needed to be fixed and updated and kind of renovated a little bit and one of the things that we needed to do was that we needed to change a bunch of the outlets throughout the house. So they're just pretty old, 
Uh, we knew we wanted some new ones. We wanted to get some of the little child safety ones put in. So we were changing outlets throughout the house. And the number one rule when you're doing any sort of electrical work in your house is you first thing you do is you turn off the power, right? And so luckily for us, the, the, um, the electrical box in the basement, it was actually really well done. It was labeled really well. It was really clear. It was kind of broken down by the rooms. And so we're kind of working our way through the house, and we get to, uh, we had a split level. And so we, we went to one of the lower bedrooms, and uh, I go down the electrical box. I can see it's very clearly labeled, but you never know for sure. And so I thought, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to double check stuff. And so I went into the room, and I turned on the overhead light. And I plugged, uh, we had a lamp. I plugged a lamp into one wall, and I turned down a box fan and plugged it into the other. And then I went downstairs, looked for the, the, the thing that was marked that room, turned it off, went back up, and sure enough, overhead light's off, lamp is off, box fan is off. So I'm good to go. So I start changing the outlets, and I start kind of working my way around the room. I think I get to about the fourth or the fifth outlet, and I pull it out of the wall, and uh, I'm working on it, and then I go to disconnect the wire from the back, and all of a sudden, I feel this surge of power shoot up my arm, right? And if you've ever had this happen, it kind of like, it, it kind of locks your muscles, and it just kind of, you freeze for a moment, and then sparks fly, and there's this little thing of smoke, and the next thing you know, you're sitting there just going, what in the world just happened, Right? And so after I uh, kind of gathered myself for a moment and realized what had happened, uh, I started reflecting on what just happened here and uh, some of the lessons I was quickly learning. And so a couple things I learned in that moment. Uh, lesson one was that you should check every outlet in the room, not just some of them, right? And uh, that was one of the things I learned. So the outlets that I had tested absolutely did not have power in them, but the one that I didn't test still did. Uh, one of the other lessons I learned was never trust the person who wired your house, because you never know why they did it the way they did, right? In theory, in my brain, they would be uh, putting all of the outlets in, and all the power in one room would be on the breaker that's labeled that way, but that is not how they did that room. So every single thing in that room was all on the same breaker except for one outlet, the one that I happened to find, which I later eventually figured out where it was attached to, and I have no idea why, but it was attached to some other part of the house that made absolutely no sense to me. Uh, but that's kind of how they wired it. Uh, and the third thing I learned is uh, it doesn't feel very good to electrocute yourself, right? So if you've never had that happen, uh, I can just tell you uh, I don't recommend it. It's not an experience I hope to have happen again. So um, now the reality is power, whether it's electrical or some other form, uh, is normally a really good thing, right? It's something that uh, we as a society, we use it all the time. And even though not all generations have been quite as dependent on electrical power as ours has, we have all still been dependent on power in some form or another. So maybe uh, in different times in history, maybe that has been manpower or horsepower or oxen power. Maybe it's steam power or coal power or gas power. But regardless of what kind it is, humanity has always been dependent on power to move society forward to create change in our world. And so to realize just how dependent I think we have become on the power, I just want you guys to think back for a moment to the last time the power went out at your house, right? The power goes out. What do you do? I know in my house, it feels like the world has stopped and like we can't do anything anymore because, well, now the TV doesn't work and the air conditioning stopped and, well, you could open the fridge, but you got to do it super quick so you don't let all, right, like everything, it just feels like life has shut down when the power goes out. But at the same time that we need power, power can also be a very dangerous thing. At the same time, power can allow us to achieve much. It can also quickly destroy much, right? If you're not careful with power, you could do something stupid, like hypothetically, you could electrocute yourself. Like that's, that's a possibility, apparently. Uh, and if you think about some of the most powerful forces in our world, things like lightning or tornadoes or tsunamis, right, you can quickly get a sense 
of the tremendous damage that power can cause as well. And as you guys saw from the, the opening video, right, the reality is there's a lot of different forms of power too. So not only do we have different kinds of physical power, we also have things like positional power and political power and influential power. And so we have people like government and political leaders. We have coaches and teachers. We have social influencers. We have media and marketing. And all of these people in one form or another, they all hold a certain type of power. And in the same way that physical power can be used to both help or to hurt, to build or to destroy, so can these other forms of power too. We can all think of historical leaders, people such as Martin Luther King or William Wilberforce who've used their power to cause tremendous good in this world. And we can also think of other leaders such as Hitler, Stalin, and others who've used their power to cause tremendous pain and destruction. We can all think of coaches and teachers who've used their power to invest in and to build into and build up the lives of children. And we can think of others who've abused their power and who've used their power to hurt them. We can think of media and marketing that have used their power to raise money for those in need or to bring awareness to a certain cause that can, can help like, do tremendous good. We've also seen them use uh, their powers to develop algorithms designed to uh, cause addiction that can actually ruin the lives of those very same people. And so as you guys can see from the slide behind me today, we're going to kick off a brand new series that is all about the subject of power. Because the Bible actually has a whole lot to say about it. The Bible is actually full of verses, there's 335 to be exact, that speak specifically to and about power in a variety of different forms and contexts. Everything from leadership to parenting to spiritual warfare. And so given the Bible talks so much about this topic of power, we think it's pretty important that we need to understand what does God mean when he talks about it in its various forms. We, need it. we think it's important to understand how we, those of us who've chosen to follow him, how we are supposed to uh, be called to use it, depending on what God says about it, and to know when and in what moments we're called to actually submit under it and submit ourselves under the power or the authority of somebody else. So if you guys have a Bible with you, I want you to join me in the book of John, chapter 13. John 13. Uh, while you guys are turning there, I want to just uh, give credit where credit is due and let you guys know that Pastor Seth is actually the one who kind of behind the scenes has taken lead on this series so he has done a lot of work kind of laying the foundation and kind of charting out where we are going to go. Um, but the way the calendar kind of fell, normally he would be the one who is kicking off this series, but he's actually on vacation right now. So he asked me to kick this off on his behalf. And so I'm going to do my best to kind of honor the direction that he set. But just want to give him credit for the work that he put in behind the scenes. He's such an awesome addition to our team, and uh, we are excited uh, for where we're headed in this series. So, so with that, we're going we're to start it in John 13, starting in verse 1. We read this. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so when Pastor Seth first told me about this series, my mind went immediately to this passage because I find it such a fascinating study on the subject or the topic of power. We know a little bit from the context here, the, the author tells us that Jesus' public ministry is, is effectively coming to an end, that he is coming near to the end of his earthly life and that he will soon be returning to his Father in heaven. 
It tells us that it was just before the Passover festival, which was a, an annual uh, Jewish holiday. They had been practicing ever since, ever since God had rescued them from the hands of slavery in Egypt. And it also tells us that they were eating a meal together and that Judas, one of the disciples, had already laid out his plans to betray him. And then we come to this statement in verse three. It says this. It says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Now, there's a whole lot we don't know about Jesus's life and his childhood, and we don't know a lot of the things that led up to this kind of defining moment. Well, we know from uh, a lot about his life from ages kind of 30 to 33-ish, like his public teaching ministry years. But prior to that, we have very little insight into Jesus's childhood and what like kind of led him up to that moment. The only story we get is we get one story in Luke chapter 2, Uh, when he's at the temple with his parents, and we get this one verse at the end. He's 12 years old, and this is the one verse we get about his childhood. It says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that passage has always been a little bit perplexing to me, Uh, this idea that somehow, even though Jesus was fully God, that he still needed to grow in wisdom. My brain doesn't fully it struggles with that a little bit. Like, I don't understand kind of this intermingling of this divine and this human thing, but somehow he still needed to grow in wisdom, right? And so the Bible doesn't tell us when he finishes that process. It doesn't tell us when he completes it. It only says that he started as a baby just like the rest of us and that he needed to grow in wisdom. But it seems as if by the time we come to this moment in this story, it's safe to say that Jesus has finished that process, that he is kind of at the height of his power and that he is fully aware of it. Again, it says that the Father had put all things under his power, and it says that Jesus clearly knew that. He was aware of it. Now, one of the other reasons I think this verse has always stood out to me is because it always causes me to ask the question, what would I have done in that moment? Right? To ask the question, maybe for you, what would you do if you just found out that God had put all things under your power. What would you do if you suddenly found out that you had the power to do whatever you wanted, to acquire whatever you wanted, to change whatever you wanted, to control whomever you wanted? What would you do? I think it's a fascinating question because I think all of us have some of the things that immediately come to mind. And because as humans, I think we have a very interesting relationship when it comes to power. And so on the one hand, I think for most of us, it's a fun question to dream about because, well, we would love to have that kind of power, right? I think if we're honest that we would admit deep down there's something inside of us that craves it and that longs for it, and regardless of how much power influence we currently have, there's something inside of us that seems like it's never quite enough, right? We would always love to have just a little bit more of it, right? Whether that be at work or at home or just generically to the world around us, right? Who, would, who among us doesn't secretly wish for just a little bit more power? And at the same time, at the same time, I think most of us tend to struggle and trust the people in our lives who actually do have a little bit more power. I think most of us, we've seen one too many leaders fail and one too many politicians lie. We have had people whom we thought we could trust betray us or try to manipulate us for our own gain. Right? And every day we are bombarded with media that has an agenda in mind that is not in our best interest, but probably somebody else's bottom line. And so because of this, I think we have become uh, very jaded and very skeptical when it comes to 
anybody who has any form or position of power or leadership. Right? I think our culture is just moving in a direction that anytime we encounter anyone who's in a, an authority figure, position of power or leadership, there's something that we have this growing distrust for people who hold those positions. And while I think that is 100% true, at the same time, I also know this isn't a new problem. This isn't like something that is like unique to us and our generation. Quick show of hands, how many of you guys have ever heard the phrase that absolute power corrupts absolutely? Anyone ever heard that before? Okay, a bunch of you guys. But this is something I didn't know until this week. Did you guys know uh, who wrote that or when it was written? I had no idea. I'd heard it before, but I looked it up this week. Here's, Here's who it was. It was... Uh, it says, power tends to corrupt. This is the full quote. An absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men, right? I didn't know that entire quote or the context until this week. And so uh, this guy named Lord Acton, uh, who if you don't know, he was an English politician, part of the, the British pa- parliament. Uh, he wrote this quote in a letter to an English, Anglican bishop, and he sent it way back in 1887, right? 135 years ago. And so this struggle to trust people in positions of power, this is, this is far from being a new thing. Right? This is something that has been going on for a really long time. But even though this quote was written 135 years ago, right, I think that this quote, it still resonates with a lot of us. Right? I think a lot of us see that, and you know, based on our experience, we, we tend to agree with it. And so I think we have this incredibly complex relationship with power where on the one hand, we crave it, we long for it, and we cannot get enough of it. And at the same time, on the other hand, we are skeptical of almost everybody else who seems to have it. And so if we go back to our question, I want to ask you guys again to think about this. What would you do if you just found out that God had put all things under your power? If I was giving you an honest, unfiltered answer for myself, uh, I think the first thing I'd do, I think there are some material things that I would like to have, right? If I had all power, I'd I'd start acquiring some stuff. I think there's also probably some injustices that I would like to write. And there there are some, in my opinion, there are some prideful people who if I had all power, I would love to just put back in their place, right? And as I thought about this, if I could summarize what I would like to do if God put all things under my power, It's that I would like to have control. Control over my finances, control over my health, even control over many of the people around me. I think my desire for power is really the desire for control. Now, the interesting thing about this question is that uh, although it's fun to think about, uh, none of us will ever actually know what we would would fully do uh, because we're never going to have that actually happen, right? It's not a reality that we will experience. None of us, no matter how rich or how famous or how high we might rank in our field, will ever have all things put under our power. But the interesting thing about this question is uh, there was some one man who actually did, right? There was one man for whom this question, it was not hypothetical. It was a reality. And so if we go back to our passage, the Bible actually tells us what he did. Here's what it says, John 13 So Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
the person who actually was given all power, what the Bible tells us he chose to do next was it says he chose to serve, right? Jesus knew the Father put all things under his power, so he got up from the meal, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I find that passage mind-blowing, right? I just find that astonishing that the next thing he does, the very next thing he does, is he chooses to serve. And I think the more you understand the depth of his power, the more astonishing that reality is, right? Because it would literally be just a few hours later, Jesus would find himself in a garden, and the, uh, the soldiers are coming to arrest him and bring him and take him to ultimately, they lead him to the cross. So he's in a garden, the soldiers are coming to arrest him. A couple of his disciples, they're thinking like, we're, we're gonna defend you, Jesus. And one of the guys gets out his sword and they're ready to fight. And Jesus is like, put, put that thing away. He's like, do you? and he looks at his disciples and he, he basically says, do you, do you understand who I am? Do you understand the power that I have? He said, if, if I needed to, I could ask my father, and just like that, I could have 12 legion of angels here at my defense. I actually looked that up that, this past week, and if you didn't know, that is somewhere between 48 and 72,000 angels. And Jesus says, do you understand the power I have? That I could just say, hey, and just like that, 72,000 angels are fighting on my behalf. If you guys will learn more about next week in the book of Colossians, we are told that it is by the power of Jesus that all things were created and that in him all things are held together. And so when the Bible says that all things were put under his power, it literally means all things, which makes his next move all the more surprising. Now, the other reason I think this is such an astonishing passage is because it is so radically different from what I would have done if I were Jesus in that moment. Right? If I were Jesus in that moment, I think I would have been like, uh, hey, Judas, I know, you, I know you think you're sneaky at all, but uh, just so you know, I know exactly what you're planning and what you're about to do. And then I would have like zapped him with a lightning bolt or something and just been like, all right, well, Judas is out of the picture. And then if I'm being honest, I probably would have looked at the other disciples and been like, see what just happened over here? Let that, let that be an example to you of what happens to someone who tries to betray me, right? I probably would have used my power to try and like intimidate them and somehow like command their loyalty. But Jesus, he does the exact opposite, right? Instead, what we find is that the man with the most power, the one who literally had the ability to instill the fear of God in them, is the one who chose to posture himself and take on the position of someone with the least power. Instead of finding a God who is lording his power over people, we find a God who has chosen to use his power to serve and to save and to transform those he loves, even those he has every right to destroy. And so what is abundantly clear to me every time I read this story is that Jesus thinks about power in a way that is fundamentally different from how I think about it, right? He sees it and approaches it in a ways that they're just simply unnatural to me. And so over the course of the rest of this series, we're gonna dive a whole lot deeper into this idea of power and we're going to explore many of the various ways and forms the Bible talks about power. But before we can get to any of those, I think it is critical for us to lay a foundation based on how Jesus chose to use his power 
especially because I think it is so different and so unnatural to the way most of us tend to use and approach ours. And so the rest of our time together today, what I want to do is I want to give you guys three things to consider in light of this passage in John chapter 13, three things that I think we need to get straight in our minds before we can move on to the rest of this series. So here's the first one. The first one comes in a form of a question, and it's simply this. It's how do you use the power that you have? Right now that we see how Jesus chose to use his, the question is, how do you use yours? And if you were to to read to the end of our passage in John 13, Jesus closes out this section by saying this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so there's a lot of layers to what is going on in this passage, but one of the things that Jesus is clearly doing is he is modeling for them the type of leadership that he expects them to have, right? He literally says to them, I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you, right? He says, if I, your teacher and Lord, use my power to serve, then guess what? I expect you to do. I expect you to do the same. He says, if this is something that is not beneath me, this is something that is certainly It's not beneath you either. And this is not the only place we see Jesus teaching this. There's a story in Matthew chapter 20 where where two of the disciples, they come to Jesus and they ask him if they can sit at his right and at his left. And what they actually do is they actually send their mom like to ask on his behalf, which is a whole other story that we're not gonna get into. But but basically what they do is they, they ask to be vice president of the company, right? They say, Jesus, we understand that you are at the top, that you are the one with the power. But whatever that thing is right below that, whatever like the second most powerful position is, we want that one. And we think that should be us, God. What is the highest position you can give to us? And so these two disciples, they make this request, and then the other 10 hear about it, and then this dispute breaks out. And you would think the dispute goes something like, the 10 are looking at the two, and they're like, guys, don't be selfish. We're in this together. This isn't what it's about. You're missing it. That's not what they get into an argument about. The other 10 are frustrated because they think they're the ones that should get the highest positions of power, right? They start fighting over who is the greatest and who is the best, right? And if you have small children, it's like this little argument breaks out where they're just like bickering over who gets to go first. And one of the other insights um, that we get, so here's Jesus' response. They They have this fight and here's his response to them in Matthew 20. Jesus says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Now, one of the other insights that I think is so interesting about this story is you get it in some of the different gospels. In Luke's account of this story, he actually ties these two passages together. In Luke's account, this argument over who is the best and who is the greatest, you know when it takes place? It actually takes place during the Last Supper, 
right? Like we think, like to think of this as this super spiritual and holy moment and they're all got like halos and everything's awesome and right, like Luke's like, these bozos are arguing over who's the greatest, right? Jesus is trying to do the first communion and they're like, I'm the best, no, I'm the best. And in both accounts of the gospel, both accounts of this moment, Jesus' response to them, he's basically saying the same thing. He says, guys, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and they're high officials. They love to exercise authority over them. He says, you know the type of leadership you're used to. You know the leaders who currently rule over you. You know how they do that. And man, do they love power. He says they love to be in control. They love to sit in lofty positions. And they love to remind everyone else of who exactly it is that's in charge. And Jesus says, not so with you. We're going to do things differently. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. See, I think most of us, we tend to see power as something for us to gain, right? Power is something we harness, we acquire, or that we achieve. And why do we want it? So that our lives can be better, right? So that I can be happier, so that I can be the center of attention, so that I can control my circumstances. Right? In essence, we want more power because of what I can get from it. But Jesus... He teaches us the exact opposite. He teaches us that when God gives us power, it is not primarily for our benefit, but it is so that we can help serve and bless the people around us. And so I think that first question that we all need to ask ourselves again is this. It's how do you use the power that you have? And I know that not every one of us sits in an official seat of power but I'm pretty sure we all still wield power in a variety of ways. And the relationships we have and the conversations we have and the way we spend our time and our resources, we all have some form of power or another. And we can use our power to manipulate people or deceive people or instill fear in people. Or we can use our words and our resources and our influence to serve and to bless the people around us. Now, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he put it in this, all right? He put it in their context. This is how he said it. And I thought what would be interesting is that, all right, what does this look like in our context? What would this look like for us here? And so uh, perhaps if, if this was said in our context, it could say something like this. You know that the bosses of this world, well, they tend to lord it over their employees. Not so with you. How about this one? You know that the husbands of this world, they tend to lord it over their wives. Not so with you. What about this? The parents of this world tend to lord it over their children. I have been convicted of that this week, right? I get frustrated in moments and I tend to, I do that sometimes. And I think Jesus is looking at me saying, not so with you. You're going to parent differently. How about this one? You know that the wealthy and the influential of this world lord it over the poor and the vulnerable. And Jesus says again, not so with you, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. The reality is 
all of us. We all have power in one form or another, and the question is, how do you use it? How do you use the power that you have? It's the first thing. Here's the second one, second thing I think we need to consider. I think it's that power does not corrupt someone. It only reveals the corruption that's already there. Power does not corrupt someone. It only reveals the corruption that's already there. Right, and so we, we said this quote earlier from uh, Lord Acton, and if Lord Acton is right, that power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So if he is right, then in the person of Jesus, whom the Bible declares has absolute power, we should expect to find someone who is as corrupt as they come. But Jesus proves that this is not true. Jesus proves that power is not the problem, nor is it the source of our corruption. And I know some of you might be thinking, yeah, but he's God, so that doesn't count, right? Like, this is a different category. And so I'd say, okay, well, then let's take Daniel from our previous series, where we just spent six weeks looking at him, right? He was a man repeatedly placed in high positions of power, but yet, as Colin talked about last, last week, he never lost his integrity, He repeatedly used his power to serve those around him, to serve both those beneath him and to serve those who were above him. And so while power doesn't corrupt someone, here's what power does do. Power allows the person who has it to do what they want, right? It allows them to do what they want. And and so when we can do whatever we want, what this does is it often reveals that what we often want is very self-centered and very self-serving, And so when a person is given much power, what it does is it often reveals the true motives that have always been there, but maybe they just didn't have the power or the authority to act on them. And I don't want to just pick on Lord Acton. I actually think there's something about this quote that is good, Uh, but here's why I think understanding this matters. Because if we are convinced that power is the enemy, we're going to be fighting the wrong battles. If we are convinced that power is the problem, then we will constantly find ourselves fighting against the system and the man and against every authority figure that we run into. And we will exhaust ourselves in doing so. But the Bible is super clear that it is not power, but our own sin that corrupts us. It is the selfishness and the pride that lies within a person that corrupts them and causes them to abuse the power that they've been given. And so not only should this truth change the battles we fight, I think it should also change the solutions that we look for, right? And so if you look in the mirror and you realize, you know what, I might have some power issues, right? If you're you're honest and you look in the mirror and you say, you know what, I think I like to be in control a little bit too much. If you reflect on your conversations and you realize that you use your emotions to kind of manipulate the person on the other end so that you can get what you want, like if you see this in you, if you realize this, then the reason this matters is because the solution to your power struggle is not going to be found out there somewhere. The solution will not be found in changing jobs or not working with that person or trying to fix your spouse. The solution's not out there if you have power struggles. The solution can only be found by changing something in here. Because again, power isn't the thing that corrupts someone. It only reveals the corruption that's already in there. Which leads us to number three, and it's this. It's through Jesus we have the power to change. Through Jesus we have the power to change. 
And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this last one because this past October, we actually did an entire series on this, where if you weren't here, I would encourage you guys, you can go back onto our website under the messages section. You can go back, you can listen to any of the old series. And again, we did a whole series on this idea that we actually do, through Jesus, have the power to change. The Bible is super clear that because of the saving work of Jesus on the cross, that those of us who have chosen to follow him, we have the power to change. Romans 1.16, it says this. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First, uh, Corinthians 1.18 says this. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And because of this, we have the power to change. We don't have to be people who use our power to manipulate or deceive or dominate. Through Jesus, we have the ability to deal with our sin and to use our power the way that God intended us to. Now, if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to give you guys a challenge too because perhaps one of the reasons you have not decided to follow Jesus yet is because you have this picture of God in your mind that he is this thing that we've been talking about, that he is this, this God who is domineering and controlling, and he just wants to assort his will and his authority over your life and to limit you and control you. And for those reasons, you said, man, I want nothing to do with a religion or a God who is like that. And so the challenge I want to give you is simply, uh, would you consider following Jesus because that is not what Jesus is like? What we see in the story and what we find throughout the scriptures is actually the exact opposite. That Jesus isn't trying to control you from on high because he clearly has the ability. He could do that if he wanted. But what we find instead is that he's trying to serve you and to save you and to transform you. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I I would encourage you to, to do something that may have sounded crazy when you came in here. And I would encourage you to actually consider submitting yourself under the power and the authority of Jesus. Because if you will, he will actually use his power again, not to control you, but to save you and to serve you. So with that, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Um, But while they're coming, I want to leave you guys with three things. And these three things are actually three things that Pastor Seth gave to me uh, that he kind of put in front of the team that's going to teach throughout the series. He says, hey, these are three things, three considerations I just want us to keep in front of us as we work our way through this series. So I've got three things to consider as we work our way through the series. Here's the first one. It's would you be willing to to suspend your suspicions of power? Is it possible that in this series, God would want to correct your dysfunctional relationship with those who have power and authority and your understanding of what it's for? Right? Would you just be willing to consider that maybe I I need to change my thinking on some things? Would you be open to that? Here's the second one. Would you be willing to have your own motivations for and pursuits of power confronted? Is it possible that in this series, God could show you that you, that show you that you have wielded power in your life in forcible or manipulative ways? Right? Are you willing to let God challenge you in this series to say, you know what, maybe I don't always use my power the way that I should? Right? Tony joked about this a couple weeks ago. You hear a sermon like this, and you're like, oh, I wish so-and-so was in here to hear this. They need this. Right? And the challenge that I think Seth wants to keep in front of us is let's look inward and say, what are the things that I need to work on in this? So can we do that? And here's the third one. Would you consider inviting the power of God's spirit to move you 
from your current presuppositions and flawed perceptions of God's purpose for power to a biblical vision of power that leads to flourishing life, purpose, and destiny. Right, as we go throughout this series, would you just be willing to invite God in? Would you pray? Would you say, God, would you, would you confront me? Would you help me see the things I need to see? Would you help me change the things I need to change? God, would you help me do it? Because I need your help. Three things we'd love to keep in front of you throughout this series. So let me pray for us, and then the band will lead us out. Father, thank you so much for uh, just your goodness and uh, who you are. God, your power is, I think, beyond what we can understand or even comprehend. And God, I, for one, am incredibly grateful that you have not decided to just squash us like a little bug, but you've chose to love us and to serve us. And God, that doesn't make sense to me, and I, I, if I'm honest, I wouldn't do it that way, but you have, and uh, God, I am grateful. God, would you help all of us, as, even as we kind of move into a time of worship, and even throughout the week, would you help us see and identify the various forms of power that you've given us, the ways that you've given us influence to speak into the lives of those around us, and God, would you help us see with honest assessment how we're using the power that we have. God, help us to be more like you. Help us use it to serve and to love and to bless the people around us and not just for selfish things. And God, would you give us tremendous grace and forgiveness in the moments when we don't? God, we need your help. We're asking for it. We love you. We thank you. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.